The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. We begin our summer series, Shaped by the Psalms, with the very first psalm, the opening number of 150 different psalms, each composed for slightly different purposes, some comprising deep-throated praise and thanksgiving, others heart-rending lament and ache. Other psalms speak of things which are foreign to us, kings, monarchs, rulers, which were feted with music and instrument. The psalms together form the prayer book of the Bible. They are the hymnal and prayer book Jesus would have used. Throughout the New Testament, we find the words of the psalms on the lips of Jesus and the New Testament writers. And so today we're beginning a journey into the psalms. And while I would love to tell you that we're going to go through all 150 start to finish, uh, there just isn't enough time. Instead, we've chosen what we think is the top 15, the, the top 40 list of the psalms, if you were. We've picked for what we think are the, the 15 psalms we w think everybody should have on their minds, in their hearts, be familiar with. Some of those psalms you're already going to be familiar with. Others you might be hearing for the first time. But I love the fact that we've chosen to have the psalms sung because it would have been how these psalms would have been first encountered. Not as read readings, but as sung music. Whether it was in the temple, in synagogues, around the table, in family dinners, around campfires, on the pilgrim journey up to Jerusalem, wherever God's people were singing these words formed part of their identity. So it's good for us to sing them and hear them. But today we begin with the opening number. We begin with the top of the set list. We begin with the psalm that in many respects, sets the agenda for every other psalm that will follow in the rest of the book. Theologian St. Jerome in the 4th century said this, Psalm 1 is the doorway into the great mansion of the psalms. We stand in the doorway, and at its most basic level, Psalm 1 is what we would call a beatitude. A statement about human flourishing. Psalm 1 could essentially be summarized, happy is the one who takes delight in the teaching of the Lord. The six short verses of this opening psalm offer to us two different paths, two different ways in which we might live our lives. The way of the righteous— marked by savoring God's word and ignoring the voices of everything else, and the way of the unrighteous, described as a poorly counseled, cynical, sinful, and ultimately ephemeral existence. The righteous, the psalm says, are like planted trees, and the unrighteous are like husks of wheat 
that are blown away by a gentle summer breeze. There is no middle ground in this psalm. There is no compromise between these paths for this particular poet. There is no room in his mind for part-time, convenience-driven religiosity. Either you're hungering for God's word night and day, or you are listening to the alluring voice of something else. This sort of binary language, this either-or language, is, is foreign to our 21st century ears because we, we tend to get a little uncomfortable at words like wicked, sinful, cynic. Ugh. We prefer terms like weak or broken or realist. We prefer to think that Everyone's okay doing what they want, and no one, no preacher certainly should ever say otherwise. If you want to call yourself a Christian, but you don't read the Bible, you're fine. If you want to say you're part of that church, but you don't show up, now you're fine. If you want to be counted among the Christians, but you refuse to serve or volunteer to help the poor, that's okay. At least that's what our wider world seems to suggest. But this psalm speaks to us something different altogether. This psalm and many, 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 many others we will encounter remind us that our trust in God is demonstrated in and by and through a hunger for what God says. It's demonstrated in our willful decision to show up to worship, to serve, to volunteer, to put our hands to work administering God's love in this world. Those who choose the path of the righteous are welcomed into the rest of the psalms and shown the fullest vision of how humanity might live before God. You can find Psalm 1 at the very beginning of the book of Psalms. If you want to follow along, I'm going to be doing some paraphrasing of some of the verses as we go through today's sermon. If you want to have the original so you can see uh, what I'm doing, you can find that in your pew Bibles Uh, the very beginning of the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalm 1 opens with these two verses, a description of the righteous life. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. Someone say scoffers. Yeah, we don't usually use the word scoffers anymore. Uh, I prefer to use the word cynic, or maybe realists, okay? But cynic will do. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, verse 2, and on his law they meditate day and night. If I were paraphrasing these verses, I might say, happy is the person who does not follow the ear-tickling advice of the wicked, nor do they walk on the path that sin has worn down, nor do they sit down for meals at the table with the hopeless cynics. Rather, the happy person is the one who takes pleasure in the teaching of the Lord. This kind of person reads and whispers and sings and murmurs the words of God over and over again throughout the day, even into the night. The very first word of this psalm in Hebrew is happy, ashray, happy. It's a word that means 
not joyful, but straight or right. The first word of the first psalm begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph, the letter A, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the last word of this psalm begins with the final letter Tav in the Hebrew alphabet. You might say that this psalm includes everything from A to Z in its thinking. And it begins with a description of what it means to flourish, what it means to be happy, to be right in God's eyes. Some see happiness as just that euphoria that comes one moment and goes depending on external forces. You're happy, but the next minute you're not. Some see it as a synonym for the good life. I'll I'll finally have a good life when I am happy. Some see it as an absence of suffering. I'll be happy when I'm no longer in pain. Modern psychologist Martin Seligman says the happy life consists of having pleasure, challenge, social ties, meaning, and accomplishments. Another article summarized the problem facing modern studies of happiness, saying research has produced many different views on the causes of happiness and on factors that correlate with happiness, but no validated method has been found to substantially improve long-term happiness in a meaningful way for most people. Our psalm today says that true happiness cannot be quantified in tests or brain scans. True happiness is not found in a bank statement with large account balances. Real, lasting, long-term happiness is not euphoria. It's not the absence of suffering. Happiness, for those who trust in the Lord, comes from a life lived in constant relationship with God's teaching and God's instruction. The happy person The righteous person declines all other offers and pursues a lifelong devotion to the instruction of the Lord. When the psalmist wrote the law of the Lord, he has in his mind the written word of God, the the law, the Torah, what we today as Christians refer to as the scriptures. The happy person takes pleasure not just in accolades, or in gifts, or in money, but the happy person takes delight in Scripture. Because these pages of this book, we say every week, you know, this is the book that we love. These pages record God's dealing with other humans, with our human ancestors, and located in the stories, and teachings, and poems, and letters and histories in this book is the essence of the God who is, who always will be. When we know that, when we affirm that, when we believe that, then we approach this book differently. This now becomes something to meditate on, something to reflect on. The psalm says happy is the person who meditates on God's law. Now, if you're like me, this is a challenge. Our lives are often defined by the next thing, the next crisis, the next appointment, the next kid's soccer game, the next phone call, 
If our spouse doesn't need something from us, our kids do. And if not our kids, then our grandkids. And if not them, then our neighbors, our family, our distant cousin. Our TV is often always on in the house. Spotify is always blasting in our ears. We're often always typing on our laptops or doom scrolling on our iPhones. The calm and serene idea of meditate seems difficult given all the other competing distractions in our life. And it won't do just to say, well, don't do them. Because we know that there are things that have to get done. How do we do this? It takes work to listen. It takes work to actively pay attention and to actively stop allowing ourselves to be distracted. As Christians, we believe that God speaks to us whenever we read Scripture. And if we're honest, I think it's more often the case not that we don't believe God is speaking, but it's that we just aren't listening. We don't know how to pay attention to it. We are not, as Psalm 1 says, meditating day and night on the instructions of the Lord. We prefer meditating on the end of the world as described by our preferred news media. Text says that the righteous person, the happy person, meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. In our post-literate society where the ability to read is generally assumed, we do not quite understand The word meditate as it is used in the psalm. The righteous meditate on God's law day and night, it says. Now, if we were an oral culture, passing on stories and teaching by oral repetition, we would understand more about what the psalmist means by meditate. It was the kind of murmuring and muttering repetition that guaranteed you would eventually memorize a teaching or story perfectly. You would say it over and over and over and over to yourself until you had it down. That's what it means here. People who have done plays on stage or musicals where you are required to memorize uh, either lines or music understand more about what meditation is than the person who has not. It is a constant repetition until you get it. It is working lines with people back and forth until you've got it down. It is a murmuring, a muttering, under your breath kind of muttering. Meditation is not a let me carve out room from all my busy life and sit in a still room and imagine nothing and now I'm meditating. Meditating is saying it out loud again and again and again and again and again and again almost as a shield against all the other forces which are trying to distract us. The psalm locates happiness in God's word, in that meditation on scripture, and it assumes that the truly righteous person who is wanting and desiring to be connected to the God of the universe is in fact reflecting and reading and whispering the words of scripture over and over and over again until it is simply part of ourselves. The psalmist goes on in verse 3 and 4. They, the righteous, are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season. Their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. This is a powerful and important image, a tree 
planted by a stream. This isn't a tree standing alone in the desert, not sure if it's going to survive. This is a tree whose roots stretch down into the riverbed, which is sturdy and unshakable. It cannot be wooed away from this place of security. I'm reminded of Homer's great Greek epic, The Odyssey, in which the hero of the Trojan War, Odysseus, a man trying to sail home to his family after the war was over, but who was waylaid by gods and cunning people, Odysseus would spend a decade trying to return home to his wife and son. At one point along the journey, he is warned about the sirens, two dangerous and beautiful creatures whose voice would lure sailors off course to wreck their ships upon the jagged rocks around their island. To successfully navigate past these creatures, Odysseus is told that he must stop up his crew's ears with beeswax and that he should be tied to his main mast with strong rope so that he wouldn't give in and jump ship and run to his death. He and his crew indeed follow these instructions and they survive. There's something of that in the urgency of today's psalm. Psalm 1 opens with statements that describe what the righteous path does not look like, what righteous people don't do. They, they don't listen to the advice of the wicked. They don't follow sinful paths. They don't sit and spread gossip with people who are cynical and who do not have any room for hope. These things can only be true of the person whose imagination has instead been shaped by Scripture. And like Odysseus chained to his ship, unable to give in to the chanting voices who would lead him astray, we, with Scripture, have stopped up our ears to the alluring voices of this world which call us to self-destruction. Instead, we are like trees planted by the river planted so securely that when we hear when we hear some popular religious philosophy spouted off about how God just wants you to be rich and powerful or some political philosophy that tells you that God just wants you to be in charge of everybody or how God doesn't really care about you or how you're just better off than other people. When we hear competing false philosophies uttered in the marketplaces of our world, we will have inside us internal beeswax. We will be able to say that is not what God's scripture says. Trees planted so securely that when we see an easier path leading off, one with less commitment, less expectations, less work, a path that doesn't end in sacrifice like Christ on the cross, one that doesn't suffer difficulty and trial, we'll know that path does not lead towards God. Planted so securely that when we see a table full of so-called realists whose minds are so cynical they no longer can believe any good is left in this world, whose pessimism clouds every conversation, we will choose a different seat. We'll remember that God's word is anchored not in despair but in hope, and we'll know that in the end God's sovereignty overcomes any evil present in this world. 
And when we have been tutored by God's word long enough so that these things are in us, when we have become so accustomed to what God has said in Scripture, we'll find ourselves actually taking pleasure in it, delighting in it. We'll find the path to forgive those who have injured us more clearly marked and easy to follow. We'll find ourselves making new inroads to our spouse, to our children, to our families. We'll find ourselves filled with more compassion and mercy, more generous and our spirits will find ourselves shaped and fashioned into a tree planted by a river, our fruit bursting forth in its season with leaves that do not wither, weep, or rot. We'll leave behind those whispers of those who are opposed to God's way. We'll abandon the paths that lead to destruction and instead we'll find delight, righteousness, and hope. The psalm ends with a bit of a warning in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. My preference in interpreting this is not to think of specific people, but rather with wickedness and evil in general, no longer being in the seat of judgment. The hope for us that comes from God's word is that one day and there will come a day when no longer do we look into the marketplaces or the seats of power and find corruption and injustice and terror leading the way. No longer will we look to the seats of power and find people who are in it for their own sake, their own status, their own security. No longer will we find that evil which causes nations to go to war for the sake of more money, more land, more power. No longer will those things be in our world. That is where the Christian ascribes its hope. God in Christ has done something to alter the trajectory of this world. The psalmist says that the Lord watches over the path of the righteous, guarding it, keeping it secure. But those who choose the easy way, those who choose the destructive path, those who choose to abide by the way of cynicism will be like chaff. Here for a moment, but vanishing the next. It's a, it's, a, it's a word of warning about intrinsic value. This is not, these are not trees planted by streams which will not be uprooted. These are just dust in the air. Psalm 1 offers to the Christian two paths, two ways, two possibilities of life. The path that leads ultimately to being dismissed and blown away, path of wickedness and destruction and cynicism, and the path of the righteous, the happy, the blessed. One is an easy, gentle, downward slope of a path that will make no demands on your time or your life and will tell you that everything that you are doing is totally fine. But ultimately that path takes a sharp curve away 
from the heart of God and leads into the land of hopelessness. The other path, however, is certainly more difficult. It is rocky, it is upward, it is challenging. It leads into the high country of the holy God where the air is thin but where you encounter God's presence, whispering to you in the pages of a sacred book. It's in that place that lives are changed, where hearts are rekindled with affection and love, where forgiveness can be both received and given, and where true joy and delight is achieved. It's there that an anchor is fixed for our souls. It's there that we find ourselves growing up, not as chaff, but as trees planted by streams. May we be so shaped by this song that we become a people who are indeed immersed in Scripture. May we spend this summer chewing on the pages of Scripture as often as we can. May we find our roots growing deeper into its soil that we might find an anchor for us when everything else is collapsing around us. Above all, may God's name be praised now and forever by these words. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. I invite you to rise in body or spirit. Let us sing Psalm 1. Let us sing it with these words from a hymn called The One is Blessed. Let us sing. remain standing and let us join in our profession of faith. We'll be using this summer from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let us confess our faith together. 
I believe that the eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will redeem from me whatever adversity sent upon me in this broken world. God is able to do this because he is almighty God and desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.